This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Hello and welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. Thanks for joining us. NASA is helping to lead an international effort to upgrade the four systems that supply crucial location information. The upgraded ground station will help serve satellites of the future. So today on the podcast, we have Stephen Merkowitz, the project manager of NASA's Space Geodesy Project at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Stephen, thanks for being with us. Steve, so to set the stage before we talk about NASA's uh, International Geodesy Project, what is geodesy being used for today? Um, well, geodesy is the science of uh, where things are, where they're going, and where they've been, and it is used to study the Earth's uh, shape, rotation, uh, and gravity. So, so what is NASA's uh, International Geodesy Initiative? Um, well, NASA currently operates a network of uh, ground stations, um, uh, space geodetic ground stations, uh, that do very long baseline interferometry, satellite laser ranging, and uh, GNSS or GPS uh, tracking. Um, and uh, the new Space Geodesy Project is to develop uh, and implement the next generation systems. So the current systems are 20 to 30 years old. Um, they're yesterday's technologies. Uh, they're uh, becoming more and more difficult to maintain as parts uh, no longer become available. Uh, plus, uh, they don't have the, uh, the modern capabilities uh, that are necessary to support the next generation of Earth science missions. Uh, one of the primary drivers uh, for upgrading the systems is uh, sea level measurements, where you would like to uh, be able to make those measurements at the millimeter level and have them be stable uh, over the years. <clears throat> so you can do repeated measurements of sea levels and be able to relate uh, a measurement from one year to the next. And in order to be able to relate those measurements, you need, <clears throat> you need to have a coordinate system uh, that is stable to better than what you're trying to measure. And so if you need to relate those measurements to, uh, say, the center mass of the Earth uh, to, or to any kind of global map, uh, you need to have a reference system um, that you can use that's, that is stable over time and relates to the entire globe. And so one of the primary products uh, that come out of these measurements is the International Terrestrial Reference Frame, mm -hmm. which is the coordinate system uh, that defines for the whole um, the whole planet being able to relate measurements uh, made in different places and uh, at different times. So, is the main benefit uh, GPS, or what are the other benefits besides that? Um, well, the GPS, we both. Um, we both use, are a user of the GPS system and um, contribute to it. Uh, so we use it, we have um, a, a GPS antennas uh, located at our sites uh, that are used to precisely determine uh, the location of those sites relative to the GPS constellation. Um, and that, that, since GPS is a global system, uh, that does provide a very good tie uh, for the locations uh, where those receivers are to each other um, and, to the, and to the satellites in orbit. Uh, 
Um, however, uh, the, the GPS uh, constellation is not very good at telling you where you are relative to, say, the center of mass of the Earth. Um, there's also a, a scale question as to, you know, how far away the, the, uh, the GPS satellites are at any time. And that's where we, we provide a connection. So we do satellite laser ranging um, to the current GPS and, and their plans for the next generation GPS, as well as the other uh, navigational satellites, uh, such as uh, GLONASS and Galileo, uh, that are coming online now, um, to provide that tie between the different systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm interested to as well. I, what kinds of tools are used to integrate the various measurements? I've heard, is it a vector tie? Does that? Yeah, one of the one of the new aspects of our project is um, having a more closer to real time connection between the different techniques at an individual site. Um, today, with the with the legacy stations, both the NASA stations and our uh, international partners. Um, a station may have uh, one or two of these techniques. Um, there's very few that have all four techniques uh, operating at once. And at those sites uh, where there is multiple techniques, um, the survey between them is done very infrequently. Uh, sometimes years go by uh, between surveys. So if you want to actually relate, say, the uh, position of your satellite laser ranging uh, telescope to the position of the GPS antenna um, to, uh, say, tenth of a millimeter type level. Um, that's very difficult to do if you have if you have to go through a full survey, uh, which is a very expensive process um, very frequently. So what we're looking at is uh, automated surveys that we can get equipment that operates autonomously that can monitor uh, the relative positions of, of these systems in, in real time or uh, on a more frequent basis uh, that over the time scales in which things actually move around uh, on the ground. When we're talking about this state-of-the-art ground station, can you give me an idea of the uh, the other tools that will be at this station and what the what the tools will do? Yeah. Um, well, the, the two big systems uh, that are being... Uh, developed right now at our prototype station here are the satellite laser ranging system and uh, next generation of, of uh, very long baseline interferometry. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called BLBI, and the, uh, the new systems are called BLBI 2010. Yeah, could you take me through both of those, uh, VLBI and the satellite laser ranging? Yeah, so the first one is VLBI. Um, so VLBI is a system of radio telescopes uh, that observe distant quasars, so uh, astronomical bodies that are that are very far away uh, from Earth. Um, they're so far away that their position in the sky is relatively stable, uh, so we can use them as a stable reference uh, system so we can tie in the, uh, the Earth reference frame to uh, the astronomical reference frame. And we do this by observing these quasars with um, a number of uh, radio telescopes all over the all over the globe, and we do this with our international partners. So uh, NASA operates a, a few, uh, but uh, we do need the global community to do this, and they op observe them, the same quasar, simultaneously. So in a sense, you can think of all these little telescopes uh, acting together as one big telescope, uh, but you also get 
uh, baseline information uh, between the telescopes when you're doing the same observation, which allows you to determine the orientation of the Earth in space. Now, the, the current systems uh, that are operating operate at very specific uh, radio frequencies. And so when you do these coordinated observations, they all know that they're going to observe at this frequency, and so you can uh, correlate the data from each of them uh, to get out the orientation information that you're looking for. With the new systems, uh, there are a number of novel features. So the first is that they're going to be a broad spectrum uh, receiver. So you can select whichever frequency you want uh, to do the observations. And this has the advantage that if you have sites that have local interference, so maybe there's a TV tower nearby or other sources of radio noise nearby, you might choose to use a slightly different frequency than you would otherwise uh, to optimize the signal noise of that observation. And so you can, by having the broadband capability, it gives you uh, a much uh, greater capability to uh, optimize your signal noise for the telescopes that are actually operating. They still need to be observing at the same frequencies, but you can, you can pick that frequency with the new systems. The other novel aspect of the new systems is that they're going to be fast steering antennas. And so what this means is that you're able to observe a lot more sources in a shorter period of time. When you do a typical uh, VLBI observation run, each telescope looks at a, at a source uh, for a certain amount of time, and then it moves on to the next. And it goes through this over the course of an hour or more. And you want to observe the entire sky in as short a period of time as possible, because what you're, the information you're after is the orientation of the Earth, you know, which is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you want to make all those measurements uh, as quickly as possible. So the new antennas, they're smaller than the old ones, uh, which means that they, they have less collecting area, so uh, they're potentially less sensitive. However, the, the newer electronics uh, and the newer uh, receiver technology uh, can make up for some of that loss of sensitivity due to the smaller aperture of it. Uh, and so in the end, it's, you should be able to observe uh, many more sources and even uh, potentially more distant sources uh, than you would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, for the satellite laser ranging system, um, there's, uh, we're, we're moving towards um, doing uh, millimeter level uh, satellite laser ranging. So today's systems um, are operated about the centimeter level, so we can determine the distance uh, to the satellites that we observe to roughly um, a centimeter, sometimes uh, slightly better than that. The newer systems uh, will be about an order of magnitude better uh, doing millimeter level tracking. Um, they'll be able to do much, many more sources, uh, different satellites and satellites at higher altitudes um, and during the daytime. Um, current systems can also do the daytime as well, um, but these systems will be uh, somewhat more efficient at doing that and uh, probably most importantly from uh, a cost perspective is that these systems will be much more autonomous uh, than, the, than the current system. So we're building in a lot of automation into them uh, so that uh, the skill level of an operator and the amount 
of uh, effort that an operator has to place uh, to use these systems is, is significantly decreased. Uh, so it'll be much cheaper uh, to have uh, more of these stations that you'll be able to have an operator uh, who is just uh, keeping an eye on things, but uh, most of the things are done autonomously. And another tool as well, uh, can you talk a bit about, is it Doris, the Doppler orbitography and radio positioning integrated by satellite? Yeah, this is, um, it's a French system uh, by the, uh, the French Space Agency, mm -hmm. has installed these um, all over the planet. Um, and it's, you can think of it kind of like a, a reverse GPS, where you have uh, the transmitter on the ground and the receivers are in space. And um, <clears throat> one of the really nice features of Doris is, is that um, the beacons, the, the transmitters, are, are very evenly distributed all over the planet um, and have very good coverage. And so that provides a unique uh, opportunity to do full tracking, uh, positioning, get full position information of the, of the satellites. So, for example, if you have an uh, altimeter, um, that's constantly ranging uh, to the ground to determine either sea level, ice sheet level, or even ground level. The, that satellite needs to understand where it is um, very precisely in order to relate those measurements. Uh, and many of these satellites have GPS receivers on them, but by having Doris as well, provides an additional level of precision and coverage uh, that you don't get elsewhere. Um, and so, including the a Doris beacon at each of these geodetic stations um, is an important component because then you can tie in those measurements that you're making on the satellites uh, using the Doris system with uh, the satellite laser ranging and the VLDI and so on to get a, a complete uh, picture of, of the frame. Earlier you mentioned, too, the need for international partners. What kinds of cooperation is needed with uh, the international community to accomplish uh, the geodesy project? Well, to, um, to achieve the, the full goal of uh, defining a, a uh, terrestrial reference frame uh, that is good to a millimeter and is stable to a tenth of a millimeter per year, uh, you know, in support of the next generation uh, sea level measurements, uh, you, we will need a uh, global coverage of these geodetic stations. And our, our current estimates are that you need about 30 stations. Uh, globally distributed, um, which is a very expensive proposition. And so uh, it, this has to be an international effort. Um, you know, NASA hopes to contribute roughly a third of the network, but we, we definitely need our international partners um, to participate as well. And they are fully participating today uh, with the current systems. Uh, many countries operate satellite laser ranging stations. Um, the LBI is, is it's definitely a, a very international effort. Um, and so there are international organizations um, uh, that, that exist today to help with this collaboration. And NASA is a participant and a leader um, in those organizations. As a follow-up, too, how do the different ground stations and satellites overlap to make their measurements? What are the challenges of having various stations that provide uh, location information? How do their techniques differ? Things along those lines. Um, well, each each technique has its own unique um, challenges. Um, for satellite laser ranging, is is we, you know, we have to have uh, the orbit information 
uh, for each satellite as a starting point for when you do the range. You have to know where to initially point your telescope and how to track it. Um, and you have to have a, a schedule uh, for doing that tracking. Um, that uh, you know, each individual satellite has its own uh, particular needs for when they need to be tracked. And then there's uh, the needs of, of the of the broader community to do the reference frame uh, that that needs a wide range of tracking. Uh, so we do have uh, coordinating bodies, international coordinating bodies, um, as part of the international services uh, for these techniques that do that coordination uh, between the different techniques. For very long baseline interferometry for the BLBI systems, um, the challenge is is when you're doing an observation run, is designing the schedule because you're you're simultaneously observing uh, with a global network of of antennas, um, and so when you set up the schedule, you have to decide, you know, which sources you're looking at um, to get the best coverage for the available antennas. Um, you have to decide when you're going to move from one source to the next, uh, what order you're going to do it in, because as you as you sweep from one source to another, you may end up with a situation where one antenna can sweep very easily uh, across, but another antenna is oriented such that it has to sweep all the way around and will take longer to get there. So doing that, that scheduling is, is a challenge, and that'll be even more of a challenge uh, for the next generation systems, because not only do you have to figure out the, the geometry and how the antennas flew and where they are on the planet relative to the source, but you can also have to coordinate what frequency uh, you're observing at based on the noise characteristics of each of the different antennas. What would you say was the major factor in creating this Space Geodesy project? Well, I, I do think from a, from a science perspective, the biggest factor is uh, the next generation sea level measurements. That they, they are driving the need uh, for a greater uh, precision and accuracy in the uh, terrestrial reference frame. Um, there's another need, which is, is a, a basic infrastructure need, that um, the systems we have today have, have been around for, for quite a long time, and, and maintenance is becoming uh, a large challenge. Um, and there was a National Academy study uh, done recently that looked at the geodetic infrastructure and came up with a number of recommendations. And basically, their conclusions were that uh, the existing network is, is aging considerably and is in dire need um, of being upgraded. So that that uh, academy study was was very important in getting this this project started. In addition, the the Earth Science uh, Decadal Review um, also highlighted the fact that the geodetic infrastructure is is, uh, is aging and, and needs to be upgraded um, in order to support uh, the next generation of Earth Science missions. Why is the determination of a location so challenging, you think, in providing uh, accurate navigation? Um, well, from our perspective, I mean, the challenge is that everything's moving. Um, the satellites are moving. The Earth is moving. Uh, you know, we kind of think that the Earth just kind of rotates in space, but it, it actually wobbles on its axis. Mm -hmm. um, the, the length of a day uh, varies over time. That's why we occasionally have leap seconds to, to make up for the fact that the, uh, the clock time is, is slightly different than, than the Earth's rotation time. Uh, and so, in addition, you also have ground motion. Uh, you know, the, the plate tectonics are, are, are moving. The Earth's crust is not stable. So 
all these things are moving around relative to each other. Um, and we're trying to, to pin down essentially where is the center of mass of the Earth over time uh, to a millimeter. It's, uh, if you think of the scale of things, that's a great challenge in and of itself. I want to talk, too, about your job as project manager. Can you take us through a typical day or, or what your responsibilities are as a project manager of this initiative? You know, I'm, I'm responsible for uh, making sure that the, the, the work is done, um, you know, on schedule, on budget, uh, work to make sure that, that uh, my technical leads have the resources uh, that they need to do their jobs. Um, you know, and, and at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm also a scientist in addition to a project manager. So uh, the science is very interesting, and, and it's important to understand the science uh, so that as decisions need to be made, um, you know, if, it's, if something's uh, not working as, as we had hoped and we need to make a change, how that will impact the science and make sure that, uh, you know, we make informed decisions uh, based on what's, what's best for the science. Um, you know, a typical day, uh, you know, there's a lot of interaction uh, with the team. Um, you know, I have, I have leads uh, for all the systems, uh, both here at Goddard and at JPL. Uh, JPL is a major partner and contributor uh, to this effort. And, uh, you know, so we have to keep in contact, see how progress is going, deal with any issues uh, that come up. Uh, and then there's, of course, a lot of reporting uh, that has to be done both to the center and to NASA headquarters. Um, and there's just the, the managing the budget and the schedule. Where's the project at currently? What does the, the prototype station look like? Um, well, the systems are there and operating. Uh, the, the current schedule has us um, completing the prototype station about a year and a half uh, from now, at which point um, we will have demonstrated um, all the systems operating together with the, uh, the vector tie uh, between them. Um, at the same time, we're also putting together an implementation plan for how we're going to uh, build and implement uh, these systems into new and upgraded stations. Um, but today, today, the systems are operating. There's still a lot of work to be done. Um, they are prototype systems. Um, and there's, there's uh, still some design work. Uh, all the major technology hurdles have been, have been uh, uh, met. Um, so right now it's, it's a lot of engineering and assembly testing, debugging uh, the systems. Uh, but we have our satellite laser ranging system uh, routinely uh, ranges to satellites. And we, uh, last year we had a major milestone where it, it, uh, it was able to um, complete a full range, a full pass of a satellite uh, with no operator intervention. Um, we also use that system routinely to range to the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter uh, that's at the moon. It's a slightly different laser system that's in there, but it's the same uh, basic system uh, that we use routinely for that. From the very long baseline interferometer, we have the antenna installed uh, and the detector and the, and the feed horn um, is all in place, um, and a lot of the electronics are there, um, still being debugged. Uh, but also with that system, we recently had a major milestone where we were able to do an end-to-end -end, um, performance demonstration where we did an observation using the Goddard antenna 
uh, and also an antenna at, uh, at Westford. Um, and we're able to correlate the data and, and uh, see what's called the fringes, uh, which is the, the combined data from the two antennas uh, as the observations. So that was a very good demonstration that, that the full end-to-end -end chain um, is working. There's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of details uh, and debugging, uh, but we're, we're very comfortable that since we do have working systems uh, at this point uh, that we'll be able to make that milestone of having the station completed a year and a half from now. We've talked about it a bit in this Q&A, but what other, are there any other kinds of investments that need to be made to make this a success? Um, well, a, a lot of the investments are looking at uh, partner stations. Mm -hmm. So we've had conversations uh, with a number of our international partners uh, and potential new partners um, as to where we might develop new sites. NASA currently has a number of partners in, in South Africa and Australia, Tahiti, uh, and we're looking at those sites as well to be upgraded. But um, to achieve our goal of, of NASA contributing up to 10 new stations, uh, we do have to look to new, new partners. And that's, uh, you know, determining how much our partner will invest, whether they simply invest in, um, you know, in establishing the site, uh, you know, building the buildings, the roads, and stuff that are necessary. And NASA contributes the hardware to where, uh, you know, some of our, our larger partners might actually uh, bear the full expense of, of procuring the hardware. Uh, we have to find that balance, and, and, and so that's a, a real question mark in terms of the budget requires how much we can get our partners to invest um, so that NASA doesn't have to take on the whole burden. What would you say is your favorite part of the job currently? Um, well, my, my favorite part is, you know, I come from a background of uh, precision measurement, and um, I really enjoy when I, when I go out to the prototype station and see the systems operating, um, and particularly at night uh, when the satellite laser ranging system is operating, because you can see the laser uh, going up to the satellites, and you, you see the telescope moving and the laser moving with it, and um, while you can't see the return light, uh, coming back from the satellite, you imagine this, this light is going up into space, bouncing off uh, a satellite, and coming back, we're receiving it and measuring the position of that satellite to millimeters uh, is, is a very impressive thing. And so I, I always enjoy uh, going out to the site and, and uh, seeing the hardware operating. Thanks, Stephen. We at NASA Tech Briefs want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us. It's my pleasure.